Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Floodman11, and joining me today, I have Cookie Monster FL and Solheimus. Hello, guys. It always is super awkward when you introduce us at the same time, so both of us talk at the same time. That's the point. I like it. Monster FL, hi. (laughs) Brilliant. Some people like to watch the world burn. Yes, and one of those people are me. Um, and that was entirely grammatically incorrect, and I feel ashamed uh, at myself. Uh, we should change well, this then. to the grammatic endurance chat. Grammatical endurance chat, okay. Yeah. As you can tell, we haven't done this for a little while. As you can tell, we're a bit rusty because we haven't done this for a little while, because we've taken a little bit of a break because of all of the endurance racing that happened. Uh, so we're going to come back and we're going to try and do as much as we can in one go. And to start with, we're going to talk about the upcoming 2019-2020 WEC season, which starts in just over a week at the time of recording. And then we're going to talk about the new regulations for season 2021. Uh, so, yes, we we actually haven't had a chance to talk about that. And even though that is old news at this stage, it is like two months old, we want to have a bit of a discussion about the sort of direction that things are going and what that means for the wider sports car community. But first... We are going to talk 2019-2020 or season, season eight. eight. Yeah, season eight, mate. Because <laughs> we use seasons now. Number, for yeah, of course. I, I rate <laughs> this season eight out of eight, mate. Great oh, name. Great. Season eight. Hashtag season oh, eight. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the fate. Oh, stop. on a date, mate, talking about season eight. Toyota Kazoo. All right. Uh, yeah, so... Shame there's no Audi R8. Hey, uh, it's not super season anymore, so uh But they've still congrats. got the super season Guess. graphics, which is annoying. Uh, so, okay, so we're... There's a few calendar changes we've talked about a bit br- uh, briefly on uh, the initial, like, season eight calendar reveal, which was back in April or something like that. Um, so the long and the short of it is that uh, Silverstone is now a four-hour event, Bahrain's an eight-hour event, and we've got the return of Interlagos, uh, Sao Paulo, and the Sebring 1,000 Miles is back on the schedule. So how do we feel about the calendar as a whole? Is there anything that we're necessarily angry or unhappy about? Anything at all? No, but I I feel like I would be the controversial person that uh, that doesn't have problems with a lot of the the things and posted and I don't know. Uh, I'm I I tend to toe the line with these things. I I don't mind the the shakeups of the hours. I know people were kind of down on the four hour change for Silverstone, and while I I, I kind of understand Silverstone in general being a pretty big hub for. Uh, endurance fans uh the british tend to be very very big on endurance and we always appreciate it obviously with british gt's success too uh that it sucks that they get less time but mm. i do think that the schedule changes with different times it makes the races unique it might give them it's their own kind of character that they build over time i'm really looking forward to bahrain even though the location you know all all of the extra stuff that goes along with it but the addition of that being an eight-hour race with Sebring being essentially a 10-hour race, I, I think this is really good. I, I think just giving individuality to these races mm. is a good thing. Yeah, and that's so. that's, that's I, a good point. Yeah, so I think Silverstone should have, instead of being, being a four-hour race, I think it should have been 500 miles. 
like uh, in the same vein that Sebring is. Mm. Uh, Five hundred miles is ju- just over four hours, anyway. The problem, okay, just just for a bit of context, before we started, we were all uh, like riffing off music, and as soon as Soul said five hundred miles, all I can think of is, and I <laughs> would walk five hundred. Okay, I'm gonna stop that. Yeah, okay. yeah that. Oh, uh, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, we'll no, we'll, we'll keep going with oh, that reference. God damn. Okay, so Dude. yeah, I actually that that's actually not a bad shout. Um, because. Yeah, the the only distance race for endurance sports cars is currently the 1,000 miles of Sebring, uh, whereas in other areas of motorsport, there's more distance-emphasized races. So, for example, V8 Supercars has the Bathurst 1000, which is a 1,000-kilometer race. Uh, there used to be the Fuji uh, 1000 as well, but now that's a 10-hour. Um, Not 10,000. Uh, not 10,000 10, maniacs uh, who sing stop <laughs> so yeah it's i actually i actually think that would have been a good idea but on the flip side four hours is actually a very good event time like we've seen elms races which are perfectly suited for four hours they they always go off and if you haven't been watching elms you should because it's great um, but yeah, I, overall, I actually, I actually quite like the, the new calendar. I, I much prefer the spacing between the events. It's a lot more consistent because in years past, we've had, you know, the ramp up to Le Mans where we've got Silverstone Star, a spa, the test day in Le Mans, and then a big gap and then a bunch of events all in one go. Whereas in this scenario, uh, for this calendar, everything's about five or six weeks separated. Mm. So it's a nice consistent roll on of the events, uh, which I think is pretty good. The only problem I have with it is that Sao Paulo clashes with Bathurst and that annoys me. Well, the 12 hour is now 12 sprints. So, you know, oh, yeah, let's not, let's save that for another right. podcast because if we start I mean, talking speak- about that, <laughs> speaking of Sao Paulo though, that now makes it, uh, I would say a world championship now i mean no offense to australia that we haven't got down there yet but yes. we've in africa but we are um i mean that brings it back to south america which i think is good and i genuinely like the the track and it's provided some pretty exciting in- incidents at least so because that's uh, that's the important yeah. part about endurance racing the incidents right well yeah i mean you know i'm looking for some unique character to each track yeah. here right you know we're we're, we're we're trying to keep a theme yeah and, I, uh, I do very there's much been just... a lot of really heavy offs yeah well <laughs> I mean, regardless of it, that, I do very much like Sao Paulo as a track. Anyway, you saying so? Yeah, I mean, the incidents are important if you mark Weber. Yeah, let's... Like, he has crazy incidents at Le Mans and Sao Paulo, that's about it. Well, and Valencia, but let's let's move off oh, of Mark yeah. Weber. <laughs> let's see if <laughs> that, we can stay connected to the ground. Budget. Yeah, on the whole, it's a lot more... The variety of race lengths, really good. Um, I, I don't think... I think the four hours of Silverstone, people are a bit against against the idea of it, but once it happens, I don't think it will be that much of a deal. I, I think the the event is still going to be fine. Um, and then, yeah, all nice, even five or six-week gaps ramping up to Le Mans. So I think that's actually a very... It's, it's a well-planned season, which I think is something that the WEC has been lacking from a logistical standpoint. Well, not maybe not a logistical standpoint, but like a, a schedule spacing standpoint for quite a while. So we've got... We went from uh, like the calendar year season where we had a bunch of events stacked up right up against each other towards the end to the super season, which had these events spread out over 18 months now to a, you know, every six weeks we're getting something good, which I quite enjoy. Oh, well, I hope I'm, I quite enjoy We haven't experienced it yet. 
Anyway, uh, the big thing about this coming season is a swathe of entry list changes, more so than we've seen in any previous season, I think. Um, so we'll start from the top. Before we jump in, this is Floody from the editing desk. Uh, just about an hour after we finished recording, they, WEC released a brand new updated entry list for the Four Hours of Silverstone, which kind of outdated some of this information. So firstly, Rebellion are actually bringing two cast to Silverstone, uh, with the number three featuring Nathaniel Burton, Pipo Durrani, and Lorwick Duval, which is a bit of a continuation from their lineup last season. Uh, and furthermore, down in the GTE AM ranks, there's a few drivers filled in that we didn't mention and we were supp- uh, making some suppositions around. Uh, so I'll talk a bit more about that when that happens. Thank you very much, WEC, for updating your stuff immediately after we finished chatting about it. Firstly, LMP1 has suffered a bit of an exodus. So after the 24 Hours of Le Mans, uh, SMP Racing announced that they would not return to the World Endurance Championship, basically saying that they achieved the maximum that they could and if the regulations weren't going to allow them to compete for wins, then what's the point of trying to compete? Um, So they've left. Rebellion Racing has downsized to one car for at least Silverstone and possibly for a large amount of the season. Um, and we have seen uh, a definite two-car entry come up from Janetta. So Team LNT, which is Lawrence Tomlinson, the the CEO of or controlling officer of Janetta, is has got two cars entered, and Toyota Gazoo Racing are returning with two cars as well. So we have a five-car LMP1 field. How do we feel about that? I mean, you know, people get all up in arms about about the entry list for this season being small, but this was always going to be a stopgap season. Like, Yeah, this is true. The new regulations were always going to come in in the summer of 2020. So I don't think there's much cause for concern about this season because because we don't know if, if, if it is, is even possible to balance a hybrid and non-hybrid B1 car. Mm. And... It likely, uh, I'm not, not going to say likely, but it's highly possible that it isn't. And at that point, yeah, I do understand SMP. If if they cannot compete, why bother? Yeah, uh, it's, it did, yeah. did seem a bit of a a bit of a punch to the gut of the series, though, because it, you know, SMP were saying at Le Mans, yeah, they're committed for another season. We got this good result, and then it was like a week or two later they pulled the plug entirely. So it was a bit of a, a dichotomy in that respect. Um, and then with Bicolas not being there, which I, I guess isn't that much of a loss, uh, and with uh, Rebellion dropping down to one car, it does kind of make it feel a little thin. What about you, Cookie? What do you think about that? Yeah, we all kind of, I think, still are a little bit reeling with S&P bowing out because I definitely believe we would have had a great fight between them and that probably would have allowed a rebellion to stay in with two cars potentially although I think probably driver contractual obligations that they you know really wanted for specific drivers that they had factory drives in other series and and had that difficulty I think probably led more to this issue where rebellion only has one entry and they've explicitly said that they are not going to, you know, revoke the possibility ever of having that uh, second racing later. <clears throat> so I definitely think that that's a possibility. We'll see that at Spa and Le Mans. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a reduction of cars uh, in LMP1. So any, you know, 
obvious uh, mathematician or you know critic mathematician can go that's a subtraction so usually subtraction isn't as much as you know the previous number equal bad so (laughs) from that aspect yeah oh yeah dude yeah trust me i got my mathematician skills on full blast right now sir along with my musician uh um... musician i'm afraid to ask how, how drunk are you uh not enough um so yeah (laughs) anyway beyond my rambling uh five entries is obviously not what we would want uh from lmp1 specifically because we only have two factory entries um and obviously with the success balance going in uh for this season the removal of some restrictions for lap and and, uh times that we were seeing some discrepancies there I think this should be a closer race with less cars, okay. um, and I'm, I'm I don't hate the lineups either. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about the EOT changes a little bit later on, but I do want to talk about lineups first. So uh, Rebellion Racing have downsized to one car. They've removed from their lineup uh, Neil Johnny and Andre Lotterer, who are I think now both committed to Porsche Formula E drives. Uh, and also Thomas Laurent, who's become the Toyota test driver, and then Nathaniel Berton, uh, who I think has just been dropped, uh, and Norman Nato comes in to share the car with Gustavo Menezes and Bruno Senna, which I think is actually a Stout. yeah, it's a great pickup for Rebellion, uh, and that's actually a pretty good driver lineup. I've I've been singing Norman Nato's praises since I saw him race in the race engineering LMP2 in the ELMS and just tearing teams apart so that was that's really cool for them Janetta is a bit of a mixed bag so we have in the five car lmp1 outcasts from the smp br1 program uh, of igor orzadev and ben hanley so they've both moved over from the uh the br1 in dragon speed and smp to the Janetta, and they're paired up with charlie robertson who i'm pretty sure is a, a pay driver an am driver and then in the other car, we've got Michael Simpson, uh, Chris Dyson, and Guy Smith coming out of retirement to drive an LMP1 car again, which is pretty wild. What do we think about the Janetta lineups? Number five looks decent enough. Number six looks like uh, looks like a recipe for a crash. <laughs> really? <laughs> Ouch. Okay. Any particular reason why you say that? You've got to... Two drivers who haven't driven a lot in quite a while, and and they're going to drive God's own prototype now. Mm. It, yeah, fair enough. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. So Chris Same Dyson, ways. Chris Dyson is Chris Dyson of Dyson Racing fame. So uh, he was driving a prototype way back in the day while running the Dyson team, and of course Guy Smith uh, won Le Mans back in two thousand and three with Bentley. So that they're, they're the sort of caliber of drivers we're talking about here, but yeah, they are both now well into their forties. Um, so that yeah, that's an interesting car. What about you, Cookie? What do you think of the Janetta's chances? Uh, they'll they'll hinge on how good Simpson and Robertson are. I I personally don't think Dyson will be that um, hard pressed to find pace. The cars are not really that much more complicated than what he's been used to driving, specifically LMP1. And the Chris Dyson guy Smith combo is obviously they're older, um, but they've worked together. They were co-drivers, won a ton of races, won a championship, so they know how to get it done. Uh, Chris Dyson though has been pretty much crash course, uh, crash coursing, uh, road course racing for like the last three or four months. He's been doing a bunch of Grand Am races. He did a couple of Xfinity drives. 
uh, in NASCAR uh, during the road courses and okay. pretty much grabbing the all of his old sponsorship, like he- the Hetford, that whole sponsorship. Literally, it's just on a NASCAR car. So he's been doing a lot of road course racing around the U.S. I'm pretty sure pretty much just to prepare himself for the prototype. So yep. for his skill level, I think he'll be all right. But it's going to hedge a little bit on Robertson and Simpson. Both yep. of them are run-of-the-mill, in my opinion, AM drivers that... You know, they, they are consistently driving cars. They're not slouches in terms of what they're doing, but they've been driving GT4s, GT3s, finishing kind of second, third in class, that kind of stuff. So Yeah, and a step up from a GT4 or a GT3 to an LMP1 is huge. I mean, we saw uh, last year Francois Perodo, or was it Perodo or Collard in the uh, TDS car? It was it was Perodo. Uh, yeah. yeah. They also did some P3, too, so so don't get me wrong. It's not like they've just been okay. doing GT4s and stuff. So they've been doing some P3, but yeah, you're right. This it's is a, a big jump step up. up. Yeah. Um, so apparently the chassis for Janetta is very, very good. Uh, I do have just a quick look at some of the testing times, and at peak speed, they were only about uh, a tenth of a second behind the uh, Rebellion. Actually, they were in front of the Rebellions. They were all at about half a second behind the Toyotas, so that's actually not too bad for uh for the the Janetta package um we'll talk a bit about Toyota now so firstly they've got a new car in store well an evolution of the TSO 50 it's looks a bit like a normal LMP3 at the front now which would be interesting uh Alonso was a team they picked up Brendan Hartley to replace so this is now uh a new LMP1 car for Brendan Hartley to to drive around in uh, and significantly, there has been a drastic change to the equivalence of technology regulations around uh, the implicit advantages of the hybrid cars compared to the non-hybrid cars. So they've abolished the stint length advantage and the pit time advantage. So now they'll, they should be all pitting about the same lap and pitting uh, for about the same length of time. Um, they've committed to adding a bit more weight to the Toyotas and trying to actually get to a point where we actually have some competition. So do you reckon this is possible? Do you reckon this will come about? Do you reckon we'll see it actually battling at the front of LMP1? In qualifying, probably. Yep. Over a four, six, eight-hour race, maybe not. Because to- Toyota still has that hyperdrive out of a corner, which is by far the most significant factor in, in how they ma- manage traffic, and that's and that's pretty important over a six-hour race, obviously. So, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, think, uh, I think that Toyota will still have the pace and, and, the, and the traffic management capabilities to lap the field over a six-hour race, but no more than that. So, if they do run into problems the privateers might finally be there to bounce. Oh, that'd be interesting. Uh, what about you, Cookie? How much do you think the advantage will be if there is an advantage? The Well, the, the gap should close with the ability for you to, to actually pit when you want to and yep. if you can stretch fuel, that kind of stuff. So I definitely feel like the privateers will gain probably a lap at Le Mans that way, just in that scenario. <clears throat> the, the key for me will be how the success ballast weighs in after the first round. So once Toyota pretty much clean sweeps Silverstone, how much is that pace difference going to be affected by the success ballast applied to Toyota? And will that, will we see that kind of pace reduction uh, on the Toyota 
keep happening throughout the series uh, the season because then you can kind of almost predict all right by this round we should see them kind of maybe surpass you know ultimate the ultimate lap time because i think what we'll see is the privateers will be faster almost bar not everywhere so the like the rebellion should essentially be quicker than toyota down the straights down everywhere else except well yeah at the end of the straights corners that kind of stuff but Outside of corner corner exit, as well as traffic management, the Toyota will gain that advantage, you know, the, that time back. Even though its ultimate pace is nowhere near what the Rebellion is going to be, that would be mm-hmm. the ultimate way where we're going to get this Rebellion wins. Toyota finishes second. So, will we or see Geneta that? Wins. Or Janetta, yeah, right. Well, who knows? Strategy now is allowed to happen, so we'll we'll see how that works. But that will be the key, and I, it's tough. I, maybe at Spa, maybe Sebring, we'll see something, but. I don't think for the first three or four rounds we'll see any any competition at the end of the race with Toyotas. Yeah. Yet, so uh, well, this isn't. This might be an improvement on last year though, because remember last year we were taking 100%. guesses, taking guesses of how far the Toyota would be uh, would win by, and you know we ended up guessing correctly at about four laps at Spa Francorchamps. So if we if we don't get it, that exuberant sort of uh, distance between the cars, then I think that'll count as a win. Um, on, a, on a related note, uh, our good friend Trevor Vasaurus has just finished his sports car engineering blog about the Le Mans race, and he made the comment to in this article, uh, which you can find on Sports Car Engineering blog, uh, Blogspot if you want, um, that if you ran the Le Mans race with the upcoming regulations, so you know similar pit lengths, uh, stint lengths, and similar pit times, then the gap instead of being four and a half to five laps between the Toyotas and the privateers would now be one and a half laps. So that's actually a pretty decent improvement. So, and mm. we, we've seen races at Le Mans between factories decided by less than one and a half laps. I think 2015 is a shining example where Porsche won by two laps. So it's that in itself is very encouraging for this coming season, how encouraging it is, how close they are, whether or not we do see battles in LMP one is still to be decided. But honestly, the it it pains me that this announcement for the new EOT was made three days after S and P announced that they were leaving. Because had S and P stuck around, we would have had a three way fight in the privateers that could potentially in entrench its way into the battle with the Toyotas. So it is a it is a little bit of a, a sucker punch to have one of the teams pull out just before you announce that they might actually have a chance that wins. So. That's that's the biggest sort of downside for me in that respect. Unfortunately, too, on top of that, I would really keep the expectations somewhat low for the first few rounds mm. for LMP1. Really look for the other 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 classes because, in, in effect, we have a pro pro factory lineup, we have a pro pro privateer lineup, and then we have two pro am privateer lineups. Yeah. So, in theory, these cars should separate themselves based on you know the car, the chassis, and the driver lineups. So, unfortunately. We might not be seeing a whole lot of racing until that success battle starts kicking in, or some of these privateers just start finding a lot of advantage somewhere that the uh, hybrids can't. Yeah, and that and with the amount of traffic that they will have with a bunch of cars in the lower classes, it might just be another uh, a, a bit more of an advantage towards Toyota. So let's start talking about some of that traffic. Uh, first up, we'll go down to LMP2. Now, a bit of change in the LMP2 category. Uh, Firstly, we've got a bit of a cycling of the teams. So Alpine and JCDC return. JCDC are returning with one 
car branded as JCDC and one car is Yoda Sport, which runs the JCDC effort. Um, so they've actually split their their team name along those lines. Um, and the Dragon Speed crew from, uh, well, the driver crew from last year has moved into that Yoda Sport effort. So we've got, uh, yeah, the 36, 37, 38 returning, and they were the championship protagonists last year. Um, Racing Team Netherland have moved from a Delara to an Orica, and they maintain their driver lineup of Vandergaard, Van Erd, and Nick de Vries with Van... Uh, sorry, and Van Utert with Nick de Vries filling in at some rounds, I think. Um, now, we've got a few guys stepping up to the P2 class. Firstly, Cool Racing, which is Nicola Lapierre's team. They are stepping up from the ELMS into the World Endurance Championship with their lineup of Nicola Lapierre, Antonin Borger, and on Alexandra Cogni. I think I got that right. I hope I got that right. Uh, so they have been a force in LMP2 competition in the ELMS this season, so it's really cool to see them step up straight away into WEC. Uh, and United Autosports are coming into WEC as well. Oh, sorry, I also uh, forgot to mention High Class Racing stepping up in an Orica as well with Anders Fjordback and Mark Patterson, so he's stepping over from Algarve Pro. And then they've got a third driver in that car, Kenta Yamashita, which apparently is one of the new Toyota development drivers. So that'll be very interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, High Class, sorry, United Autosports are stepping up from ELMS finally into the WC in an Orica, which took a lot of people by surprise, me included. And then finally, Settler Racing are the only non-Orica, and they're running their Delara with their standard Belici, Lacorte, Sergio lineup. So, LMP2, guys. Where do we start? Uh, United. United? Okay, we'll start from the top. So, the Ligier distributor for all of Ligier's products in the United Kingdom and through most of Europe Stepping up to the World Endurance Championship in an Orica, that sent ripples through the the sports car world and the sports car news because I don't think anyone expected that, uh, which caused a bit of a cascade effect. So now United Auto Sports don't uh, sell Ligier pro- uh, products anymore. Uh, they're still running the Ligiers in ELMS, um, but yeah, a big, big call to move to an Orica stepping up to the main game. I mean, ultimately, you want to have the best, the the, the the best chance of winning. And if the RK is the best car, and it really does seem to be the best car, well, what can you do? Like, I don't think it's their fault for wanting to win. You know. Yeah, that's exactly right. And they have said, uh, I'm trying to find the the specific article, but they basically have said that they would not have been competitive without the Orica base. So that's that's their reasoning, which I mean I guess is fair enough, but it's it's a real it's a real pain in the buck. So I w- would have loved to have seen I've talked about this in P2 discussions before. The fact that a lot of the top teams are running Oricas means that you can't really get a good uh gauge for how the Orica and Ligier match up because none of the top teams are running Ligiers or there just isn't enough of them. So if United have a bad day in the ELMS, you don't really get a gauge of the Ligier versus the Orica. So I would have thought with United stepping up in a Ligier, you could get a bit more of a level experience and driver lineup, but obviously that's not the case. And yeah, it just has resulted in another Formula Orica style LMP2 field in the WEC, which is a bit of a shame. 
Yeah, I mean, the nice part about this is that you know that there aren't a, a like a manufacturer chassis loyalty, <laughs> so I guess you, you you got that going for you, so that you know that it's not, uh, I don't know, an, uh, or um, an onaroke kind of situation where essentially it's a Reka that is just servicing a chassis and running a team. So, but yeah, we we have this issue where it's almost unsolvable um, because. At, at what point do you just throw your hands up and say, well, you guys did not make a balanced neutral chassis for a BOP class that we need you to be on par with the best, you know, chassis on, on the grid. Granted, I have seen other series do uh, make a lot more effort to try to disturb or upset uh, a very, very uh, well-performing car or simply outright try to remove aspects of, of what makes it good for the sake of competition and racing, where the ACO and FIA are weirdly unable to do anything outside of that, what was it, after the first year Joker update, and then mm. there was a co- another update that rolled out, maybe a, a small update a year later, in which most of the manufacturers said, we're good, we're good, we don't need to do anything else, which... I, again, was is weird because they can't. They they clearly are not able to keep up the Eurekas. And um, my problem is is that I I don't know what fixes this. So we mm. got twenty twenty two coming up. Um, Jeanette is going to be stepping up. Um, but beyond that, they these manufacturers essentially have to nail it. And why would anybody essentially assume Eureka isn't going to just produce the best chassis again? I mean, yep. there you the other three chassis have to sell themselves so hard now just to even get probably a United Autosports to buy into them again. Because essentially that's what that's what Ligier wanted. They wanted UA just to stay with them because that's as good of a team as you're going to get that f- will field and service your cars yep. for and the entire good, duration of your stint. So. Yeah, and it's a good advertisement for the chassis to have a team like United on board and performing well. And then now they've lost that, so where do they go from here? Yeah, so just for a little bit of context uh, to the switch in performance for example uh at the prologue both united and racing team netherland topped the timesheets uh at various points in the sessions uh and in the end both of them ended up on top of the last session uh setting the two fastest laps of the weekend so that's that's a pretty telling sort of stat then to say that if you want to be competitive in the wc you kind of need to be in an orica uh, because we wouldn't have seen, we haven't seen United Autosports topping uh, timesheets in the ELMS uh, at all in the Ligier. So that's a that's a big, big advertisement for the performance of the Orica chassis. Uh, so that is a big call. We'll probably see them be on the pace straight away. Same with Racing Team Netherlands as well, um, because they've made the switch to an Orica and are already showing some decent times. Now, a, a Guido van der Garde Orica-style runaway from the field at the very beginning of the race sounds terrifying to me. I reckon they actually might be a chance to get a few race wins this year. 100%. That is a very good team. Like mm. <laughs> uh, The pace that uh, uh, like two or two of them at least have is pretty extraordinary. The limiting factor for for, for for the Jumbo car is going to be Fritz. Mm. I actually have a feeling that Fritz is going to be stepping out for a race or two this season, um, which will allow them to bring in Nick DeFries, who I think still has a silver rating this season. 
which means that it'll roll over into next year. So they might actually be able to run a lineup of Vandergaard, Van Oetert, and De Vries, which would be ridiculous. I mean, Van Oetert is uh, is still a silver, as far as I know. Oh no, he's he's so, a gold yeah. now. He he was upgraded to gold is for he? this year, but that stayed as a silver for the WEC because of the way that the Super Season had to work, which is yeah, dumb. Oh, mm. all right. Yeah, so expect... Because I, th- I think they've now moved to TDS to service their car as well uh, for Racing Team Netherlands. So that's a proven outfit which have run the G-Drive cars in the past and run championship winning cars in ELMS. So that'll be a, an exciting team to watch. Uh, I'm really excited about high-class racing. I've been following high-class racing since the... What, since they started in the ELMS with Anders Fjord back and Dennis Anderson and got like two second places in the first two rounds, which was just amazing. Um, so Anders Fjordback is stepping up with Mark Patterson, as I said, Algarve Pro, and then, uh, Kenta Yamashita, who I already mentioned is the Toyota development driver. That is a really interestingly mixed lineup. And as well, this is the first car on the entry list with Goodyear tires, which are now replacing Dunlop in the LMP2 class. I mean, is, is it just a rebrand or, or, or is, is it some trick to get more, to get more development allowances or whatever? It's probably just a re- rebrand, isn't it? I, the done it's a good year. I, I'm pretty sure it is. So they are owned by the same parent company. Um, the thing is, I, I like, yeah. I don't know why you would bother making that rebrand is the thing. Like what, what, what does it serve you? Mm, separating brands maybe uh maybe make Dunlop more bike specific uh you make Goodyear more car specific I don't know yeah it is a weird one because we have seen Dunlop tires in the GT classes before but not this year at all either so it's they've kind of vacated themselves entirely from uh WC and sports car type racing which is kind of weird um but I'm excited to see high class in any respect because uh, I'm, I'm just excited to watch Anders Fjordback race. He's one of my favorite silvers. Um, and seeing the and seeing Goodyear is is a nice, nice throwback, if anything. So mm. I think I think we should that. talk about the American in the room when we're talking about Goodyear. How do you feel about Goodyear being back, Cookie Monster? Oh man, bring it on, bring it on! It's just a forward Chevy battle. Uh, we'll see it on the back stretch, leaning on each other, beating and banging, turn three and four, real rubbing, racing. You know, brush up against that outside retaining wall race down the, the tri-oval down to the Starfinish straight. So, absolutely, I can't wait for Goodyear to be hounding them uh, Europe's. So, okay, so, them, so uh, that's that's why they've brought, changed the branding to Goodyear. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Well, moving <laughs> on. Beer, Budweiser. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. next car uh, Re- is... Shut Re- up. Well, it's a rebranding market. market. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a whole, it's a whole deal. You're, whole you're deal. a deal. Not much change at Alpine. <laughs> uh, they've brought in Pierre Rags and... Uh, as the amateur driver now uh, instead of uh, Pierre Thierrier, uh, which makes me a little sad. And they've also lost Lapierre to his own team um, and brought in Thomas Laurent, which I still think Thomas Laurent is a pretty good change if you can't get Nicolas Lapierre. I mean, if you want if you want to keep it in the French family, that's a almost the second best driver you could get. It is. It, it's, it's, well... It's genuinely crazy as we go through here, looking at these lineups. I mean, yeah, we we have a couple silvers that were not were a little questionable here and there, but I mean, you're you're right. Essentially, this team losing Lapierre, you'd say, okay, well, they clearly can't can't you know make up the difference a little bit. No, they they found it. Yeah, and I mean, even as we keep going through here, this is a 
an unbelievably good LMP2 field. Mm. Like, these battles should be intense for 5th and 6th and 7th. I mean, with the amount of talent that's in these cars, so... No, you're not wrong at all. This yeah. is a very, very good lineup, even without Lapierre. When when I get to when we get to the end of the the lineups, I'll I'll try and pick out a few names and we'll talk a bit more about them. But yeah, Pierre Rags as well uh, has been an astounding uh, AM driver in the ELMS for. Uh, mm, is it Duquesne or Graf that he races with? Let me just. No, it was uh, Duquesne. Yeah, so outstanding work with Duquesne Engineering um, in their race, and I think they finished fourth in the Barcelona race after being in the hunt for quite a while. So that car will definitely be a championship contender. Now, Yoda Sport, return of the the Mighty 38 to the Yoda Sport uh, branding as opposed to the JCDC branding uh, as they've kind of downsized to one car. So the JCDC car is Hopington, Gabriel Aubrey and Will Stevens, which I think is the same lineup that they had last year. I mean, they ro- rotated a bit, like uh, yeah. they used the HH in the 30, 37 car uh, towards the end of the season, but uh, this might, uh, like, uh, I think it's a mix and match, but it's still a really good lineup. Yeah, this is actually probably stronger than any of the cars that JCDC had last year, um, so that's a, a huge, and Will Stevens as well, which is just crazy good, and then in the Yoda Sport car, the 38 is the old Dragon Speed lineup, Davison, Gonzalez, and Pasta Maldonado, so that's also a terrifying lineup as well i mean uh, it's the same lineup that did most of the um most of the season in the old 31 car i mean don't change my broken eh? exactly exactly right um and for yoda sport as well that is a it's good that they have a good driver lineup to stick into their car because their cars have consistently been some of the best run and engineered cars in the p2 grid for years and years and years so i'm really excited to be the mighty uh, see the mighty 38 back in mighty 38 colors as opposed to the jcdc colors no nothing against the jcdc uh liveries and operations but there is just something special about the the yoda sport colors with the 38 on the side uh kind of reminds me of the the old open top gibson that they used to have which won just stupid amounts of races before that got switched to a g-drive car and made me angry anyway <laughs> went to the dark and then side and alpine yeah there we go um so the last two cars in the entry list uh i want to talk about settler racing first because they're probably exactly what you expect they're stepping up from the elms in that uh beautiful shiny blue delara with the driver lineup belici roberto lacorte and so uh, giorgio sonagiotto so pretty standard what we expect from them uh well sorry it should be pretty standard what we get, seeing as they're running the same lineup as they have done for a while now. Um, and they're, in, they're the only car in a, they're the only Delara, so Italian team, Italian drivers, Italian chassis. It's all it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, and French tires, and French tires. Yeah, because they're running Michelin. Do, are there any Italian? Oh, I guess Pirelli. Yeah, yeah. Pirelli. If they they bothered bothered. <laughs> yeah, if they bothered to make uh, LMP2 tires. Uh, so what are we, are we expecting much from Settler? Not really. I mean, well, it's the first Delara, season. So no. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's a thing. good point. No, like that's the thing. I They're mean, in a Delara. that too. But it, it's it's the first season in the WC. I think we'd be right to cut them some slack with regard to results because it is a big step up. Yeah, and they are in from ELMS. Yeah, and they are an all AM lineup as well. So it's it's an, sort of another layer that they have to kind of break through. Living the dream. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, if I could do it, I would do it, but I can't because money. Money. Yeah. Uh, and finally, this this last car on the entry list is something that really excites me. So it's Cool Racing. I already mentioned that it's Nicola Lapierre team and Lapierre's team. Uh, so they're running the same driver lineup that they run in the ELMS of Lapierre, Antonin Borger, and Alexandre Cogne. Now, they have been an absolute force in the ELMS. They have been challenging the likes of G-Drive, the likes of Duquesne, the likes of United Autosports, and oftentimes beating them. And it's because their amateur drivers have a great partnership and are remarkably quick. And then you add Nicola Lapierre to that mix, and it's ridiculous how good that car is for its first foray into the WEC. Honestly... I think if that car doesn't win two races this season, they must have had a nightmare. Mm, that's a good point. Uh, and I reckon, uh, I reckon one of those races will be Le Mans. Well, that's a hot take. Oh, wow. 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 Make, wow. Let, let, let Lafayette go five for five in LMP2. Oh, come on, man. No way. I, uh, I, I, I don't know. That's that's a bit of a leap, wouldn't you say? I mean, we're, we're discounting ELMS entrance. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Asian Le Mans series since they're gonna have the new chassis. I don't know, man. That's that's a hot take. That's that definitely a hot, hot take. take. I, yep. All right, all right. We'll pencil you in for that. But uh, no, I mean, I'll I'll buy the. Uh, they'll get a race win. They're yep. good enough to do it. Uh, I mean, half the field is good enough to do it. But uh, we'll see where the chips lie. Lapierre is quick, and he does it out again and again and again in P two. That car will start up front most of the time. I feel like. So they'll have a uh, you know bird's eye view of a good race. Most times we'll see if the you know they could pull it out. But uh, I'll I'll buy a race. I don't know about Lamar though. See, I'm gonna say this now, and then when it happens, it's gonna be amazing, and I'm gonna be able to hold it over everyone's head forever. Profit. Yeah, yep. yeah. We'll all call you a profit. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. So what? One thing for for, for sure though, for a pro am class, B2 is gonna be amazing. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. So just looking through this entry list, we have. I think one, two, or three, four, five, five former F1 drivers, uh, a few former P1 drivers, a f- absolute smattering of open wheeler ta- talent in feeder series talent, uh, and then on top of that, some of the best uh, AMs that you can find in the world today talking, uh, you know, Phil Hansen, who should be a gold, let's be honest here, uh, talking the likes of uh, Pierre Rags, uh, Gabriel Aubrey, Roberto Gonzalez. Uh, it's just ridiculous how good this class is in terms of uh, professionalism and experience. And with the kind of lack of full pro entries across the board... You know, we've got like the two Toyotas, the Rebellion, and then GT the Pro cars. Yeah, and then the five GTO Pro cars. You know, we've got like eight full Pro car lineups. This class will have probably the best driver talent in any of the four classes for the WEC, and that's kind of cool. Oh, absolutely. So, who wins the season? Um, <laughs> that's. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think Alpine, just because they've been doing this on, on, on the top level for quite a while. So I, I'm going to go with Alpine. What about you, Cookie? Who wins? I go United. Oh, okay. You reckon just that? Just because I, 
because I, I I usually say United, so I mean it just rolls off the tongue a lot easier. So I'll go with United, but uh, I don't know. My my wild card prediction would be Jota, and uh, and then have Maldonado somehow win a championship. That would be amazing. <laughs> that yeah. see that would be my hot take. But yeah, I'll, I'll say United. Honestly, I think there is six cars that can win races uh, throughout the inter- the season. I reckon United Racing Team Netherlands, uh, Alpine, both uh, Jota Sport, Jackie Chan cars, and Cool Racing. Like there's six cars there. I think maybe high class with uh, a younger driver lineup and a less less pro driver lineup and Settler with an all AM lineup aren't going to be able to get into it. But honestly, the rest of the field should just be an absolute. Absolute fight! It's going to be awesome, and uh, I think uh, I think Jumbo wins the race. That the, the Fritz isn't ending. Yeah, that, that's probably going to be the case. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll move along now. GTE Pro for this season uh, has seen the loss of Ford and BMW, uh, so we've gone down to a f- six-car field, and it's basically back to the way that it was before Ford and BMW turned up. So it's AF Corsa, Porsche GT team, and Aston Martin Racing. Uh, And the only major change in the driver lineups from last year that I can see is that uh, Sam Bird has been moved from the AF Corsa seat, and we've now got uh, Miguel Molina taking that place, which is pretty well like-for-like in terms of experience and speed, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, it's uh, good for him, you know. It's uh I, I don't think uh like the entire GT Pro field was always very close in terms of quality like you can't r- really say uh one driver will always be a better option than, than another. Yeah. Like all of that quality is very close, so it's very much how the form mm. goes throughout the season, but yeah, uh, Molina isn't, isn't a bad driver to have, by all means. So, yeah, yep. going to be interesting. Uh, Sam Bird is, is also committed to Formula E full-time, isn't he? Yes, I think so. So that's that's the reason why uh, he's moved out of the AF Corsa program. Um, interestingly, though, there is a, a car <laughs> chassis change as well. So the Porsche... 911 RSR is going to be upgraded to the RSR 19. So we've all seen the images and heard the sounds of the new Porsche. Uh, Do you reckon that's going to be on the pace straight away or do you reckon they might try to find it difficult, much like Aston Martin and BMW did last season? I think think they'll be on the pace by Sapala. Oh, that far back. Like a pessimistic estimate, they'll be on the pace by Sapala. Like really up there. I think you might be a bit unkind to Porsche with that one. What about you, Cookie? <laughs> Before yeah, I start, I think it'll, be, it'll be closer than that. I just they, they didn't make that many changes. I mean, they did make some changes, but overall, the way that the balance is on the car doesn't seem like it, it it was affected that much. It just seems like this is more efficient. So, if anything, it might be cooling or something like that that they might get hiccups on for reliability. But I I don't see them being off pace. I see them being right there. Yeah, Unless I, there's a hidden balance issue, sorry. Unless there's some balance problem that you can't find, but it's Porsche. Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? It's it's Porsche. Porsche do Porsche things, like jumping into a class and winning from the off. And they were <sighs> the second best car at the prologue. I think the the times at the prologue for GT were very, very close together, and the Porsches were only just 
just behind the leaders at all accounts. So I reckon uh, I reckon they'll get a win before the end of the year. Oh, I absolutely, oh, yeah. I absolutely think yeah. they're going to win a race, but uh, is it going to be one of the first three? I mean, probably. Uh, thing is, it it has a new engine, right? So, or, or very, well, an evolution of the engine th- yeah. that it used to have. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it is in fuel because yeah. they've increased the displacement. So, I don't know. Fuel might might be a bit of an issue. For them. Yeah, they've gone from a 4-litre or a 4.2-litre. That's a good point. Yeah, I guess we'll see. And it's still only it's still the only GTE car now that is naturally aspirated. I mean, you know, for another six months until the Corvette C8 gets revealed in its race spec and has a turbocharged engine, blah, 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 blah. So that's a... Uh, that is one point of difference compared to the rest of the class. So it'll be interesting to keep tabs on that. Um, but on the whole, a six-car class is kind of... It is a major drop from where we were last season, which is a real... It kind of returns GTE Pro to that level of anonymity that we kind of had during the golden era of prototype racing where we had Audi, Porsche, and Toyota at the the head of the field. Yeah, unlike P1, where uh, this this was always going to be a stopgap season, that's not the case in GTE Pro. Like, Ford, they came, they saw, they conquered Le Mans... Le Mans from the off and then just trundled along for three more years and then left because they weren't happy with whatever and BMW came they didn't get the results even though I do think they won a race um or... I think they, they, they didn't IMSA but I don't think they uh, won, yeah, a, they I don't think they a, won a WEC race yeah yeah they only won, won a race in IMSA and then left again as if you know for some reason like they might have expected results immediately but that's not really what happens. You, yeah. you go to work for it, I suppose. So I don't really understand what was BMW's remit there. Uh, like Ford, four years. I don't know. They I said from the offer, would like be... to see them stick around. Yeah, but they said from the yeah. offer it would be a four-year program and it's maximum. So that's that's what happened. Yeah, just ran out. Mm. Did the contract and left on a free. Yep. Um. Yeah, the BMW thing still really annoys me, but what what can you do about that? Um. I do hope that we see some P, uh, like some return of interest to GTE a- Pro um, in the coming years. You know, we've heard things about Brabham wanting to join GTE Pro, uh, which terrifically excites me. Australia. But, yeah, because Australia. Australia. Um, but we'll have to see how far that develops uh, and all these other things. So I, I hope we get to see some, some more life in a factory GT capacity because... This is, you know, this is the peak of GT racing, right? So it should reflect that. I just think there, there needs to be some some cost control uh, injected, or or just it's, um, an evolution or revolution in this class to kind of like hypercar, because um, yeah, I, I think unlike GT three, where you can make that dumber, you can you know simplify that. You can tell everybody, look, we're changing it to make this cheaper and to make this you know less complicated, so that the costs are, are down. GTE is kind of in this position where you're right, it's the pinnacle of GT racing. So you kind of want to keep that aspect of it, which is balance neutral, what we have mid-engine 911s, you know, yeah. Corvettes that are going mid-engine, you know, all this stuff, Aston Martins that look like, you know, concept cars from the 90s. So from that aspect, I, I think you need to join both of those. We need to cost cap a little bit because to me, I'm 
I'm fine with this six six car entry for the for the season. I'm fine with that's a diverse amount of manufacturers. What I would love to see is some privateer entrance yeah. in a pro pro, and I think the costs need to come down before that to exist. And if we could get that, then we don't need five manufacturers. We just need three or four solid ones that can deliver great racing. Yeah. What I would, what like what might not be a terrible idea is uh, instead of having pro and am have a factory and privateer. So you could have a pro pro privateer entry in its own class rather than being going up against a factory that has literally one or two orders of magnitude more budget. Oh, I don't, I don't quite think that's the correct way to go about it because then you're splitting GT3. Now I said it, yeah. Yeah, now you're splitting GT into three ways. So you have like factory, uh, GTE, No, I was thinking reshuffle them into two classes, but... Yeah, but then, but then even even even, even still, yeah, even still, that's you have a a GTM type lineup anyway. So it's yeah, it it'll be. I, I don't quite think that'll be the correct way to do it. The thing is, like, I, yeah. I've in my time properly following GT racing, okay. which is not that long in you know in relative terms, I've only ever seen one GTE Pro privateer entry. And that was when Proton ran, um, Proton ran a car in the like in the year that Porsche didn't run a factory team. That's the only time I've seen it. What about Reese? Oh yeah, I guess Reese counts, but I don't really count America. (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow, (laughs) we appreciate that. No problem. Don't forget. Um. Well, yeah. Okay. I guess Reese is another outlier in that respect. But in the WEC, then it's only just been that one year that Proton ran. And like, I'd love to see like, a well, I mean, I mean, I guess AF Corsa or like TF Sport run a pro car, or even further afield. Like, imagine if Black Falcon you know, from the GT3 scene ran a pro Porsche, or you know, something like that. SMP Racing running a pro Ferrari. Ferrari. Yeah. Oh like, wow. Yeah, like that, that. They're the things that could have could be happening, but just aren't. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess in that respect, Cookie's right. The cost kind of needs to come down in order to enable that, or we need to encourage teams to be able to do it. So yeah. More sponsorship. Mm. Yeah. Well then how do you get more sponsorship? Uh, if your product is waning is the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Complex economics talk with endurance chat boys. Ba-dum-bum. <laughs> So we'll move on um, from GTE Pro, and we'll look at the final class on the uh, the WEC, an eleven car GTEM field, eleven cars. That's stacked. That's wow. Re- oh, Cookie, get out. That's it. You're getting moved. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, everyone. I'll see myself. Bye. There he goes. <laughs> eleven cars. It's a huge amount of cars mm-hmm. for a single class in the WEC. That's basically a race in itself. Well, I mean, I guess it is a race in itself, but it, it, it's almost a, a half a grid in itself. So, plenty of stuff going on. Firstly, uh, AF Corsa and Project One are expanding to two cars. Um, Dempsey Proton returned with their two cars. MR Racing, TF Sport, Golf Racing, and AMR all return with their cars. And we've got a new entry from a team called Red River Sport, which is a British GT team, and they're going to be running a Ferrari. So, 
Let's start from the top. Uh, AF Corsa uh, returning with the uh, Castellacci, Fisher Keller, Thomas Floor car and adding to their lineup uh, a car for Francois Perotto, Emmanuel Collard, and Nicholas Nielsen, which is a kind of return of their old championship winning GTM lineup from two or three seasons ago. I mean, they obviously have the budget to do it mm. somehow. Well, I mean, yeah, if uh, if you've previously won uh, races slash championship with said uh, driver lineup, if you can try to get something that replicates something very similar to it, you're probably in a good position. So, uh, and it's a, of course, uh, uh, the cars are service fantastic anyway. So uh, both those cars should at least have some pace at some point and be fighting for position. So uh, the Porsches are scary, and I've... Uh, but it's really going to be down to, I think, uh, the AF Corsa squad uh, versus kind of the, the, the Porsche fleet. Yeah. Um, and so it'll be these these cars that really hold the uh, the Italian flag for everybody else if they don't want Porsche to win. So yeah. I don't think the Aston Martins will be anywhere. We'll talk about those later. We'll talk about them later, yeah. So uh, the Perotto-Collard combination is an established combination. Nicholas Nielsen is currently tearing up a storm in the ELMS driving for Luzic Racing, which has won like half of the races in GTE so far this season. Uh, so it actually, uh, it really excites me to see these guys back in uh, GTM. Uh, Collard, oh, sorry, it was, yeah, Emmanuel Collard. No, it was Perotto rather. Perotto kind of had a, a, a bit of a tumultuous time, the TDS LMP2. I don't think he ever really properly got a handle on the, the downforce driving, except at Le Mans. So it's it's good to see him back in a piece of machinery he's got proven results in. And I hope we, I hope we see them towards the top of the field. Um, because, yeah, AF Corsa Ferrari, it's what you want, right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm excited for them to resume their battle with the Paul Delana machine uh, because they they were fighting for championships for hell in a day back in the day. So I'm excited for that. Uh, we'll move along to the Team Project 1 cars. So two cars. One of them is the driver lineup from last year, the Perfetti, Hannemeyer, Hansen, Cairoli car, which it is... Isn't. Oh, that's actually a change because last year that car had Patrick Lindsay Your and Bermester. Jorg Bergmeister instead of... Hannemeyer Hansen and Cairoli. So that's a huge, that's a huge change. I think that's actually made that car stronger, in my personal opinion. How do we feel about that? Stronger? Mm. Uh, isn't it like an, an all-arm lineup now? Or is... Cairoli's a gold. Cairoli's one of the best Porsche Junior right. drivers, yeah. Alright, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> well, you're changing, you're, cha- <laughs> you're, 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 you're swapping out experience for, for, for youth in Downs. that respect. Yeah. So, because, you know, Jörg Bergmeister is one of the best Porsche drivers ever. and yeah. but Aging, though. Yeah, he's he's aging. And I think Cairoli brings a bit of new energy to that. And then pairing up Perfetti, who is one of the best bronze drivers, with Hennemai Hansen, who is one of the best silver drivers. It's a crazy, crazy AM requirement that they filled. And then adding Cairoli to that is actually pretty damn good, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I'll agree with that. I'm, I'm really sorry. For, uh, I really, I, no, I'm really yeah. sorry. Uh, I would like to apologize to M- Matteo Cairoli. Yeah, fair enough. Apologize to the audience. And uh, yeah, apologize <laughs> to the audience as well. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first car like, in a fleet of Porsches, though. So this is, like I said, I said fleet for a reason. There is mm. a lot of talent in this Porsche lineup and 56. Yeah, I can't say it better. Also, if they can do well, 
I this again the it, people could scream driver lineups are broken or the or the rating system's broken, but that would be pretty cool to see a, a couple dominant silvers essentially um, take control of a of an AM category like that. So I'm really gunning for the city. Yeah, because this is uh, Perfetti and Henemai Hansen are true AM drivers, so they they fulfill the the spirit of the the driver lineups. So you know it's kind of. You know, last year when we saw guys like Julian Anlau with a silver, which is kind of like, well, he's a Porsche junior and he's been winning the Super Cup. So is that really silver is uh, or whatever? Um, so these are true amateur drivers. So the the way that Project One performed last year and the way that their operation has gone and the drivers they brought into the team, I think that's going to be a scary lineup. Almost as scary as the other car, which was the car that beat them at Le Mans until it got taken away. Uh with the lineup of Jerome Blakemolen, Ben Keating, and Felipe Fraga. So it's the old adages of if you can't beat them, join them. Except if you beat them and get disqualified, join them. <laughs> Stacked. <laughs> That's it. Sol, you're out. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, yeah, okay. You got the boot now. Yeah, uh, you're not allowed yeah. to say Stacked. <laughs> It's it's interesting to see that it's a Team Project One Keating Motorsports um, as a joint affiliation. So, I mean, it begs the question: How far along was the Ford deal and GTM before that fell through? And what party really, unfortunately, kind of left it on the table? Because, you know, on paper, Keating Motorsports aligning with Team Project One, it's not like this is they just bought, you know, just the the rides, which they clearly did. They just bought the seats, but. Mm. I mean, it seems like there is an alliance, essentially, with what they're doing and fielding that that second car for Project One, which they have the entry for. So, yeah, I mean, it's while this is going to be another lineup, and I, you know, I will obviously tout this lineup. It's very good. They won Le Mans. Um, ish, I think they ish, they will. Ish. They? I mean, yeah, I, I I think they did, but they didn't do it correctly, so they got disqualified <laughs> for. It. Anyway, um. This should finish, definitely get a couple podiums. Um, but, man, I would have loved to see a, a Ford on this grid. Yeah, but uh, it's good to see them here. And it just tells that this is where they want to be, even when they were done wrong by certain individuals who disagree with that ruling. So I actually, I wonder if they're going to bring over the wind sponsorship as well, because that could be a very pretty couple of cars, the Project One and the, the wind sponsorship car. That would be really cool. Oh yeah, and if the fifty six keeps the Mentos livery, uh, the Mentos livery, I want to see that. That'll be I sick. See that for the full season, <laughs> the the art car livery. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Brilliant. So they're oh. going to be they're going to be scary. Um, we'll move down to the Red River Sport car. So this is the new entry to the WC GTM class. So uh, the two AM drivers I've never heard of before, and that's probably because I'm not a big watcher of British GT, but it's. Uh, Bonamy Grimes and Charles Hollings, which are two very British names. And then they've added to that Johnny Molum, who was a name that I do recognize as part of British GT and ELMS. So, yeah. Uh, how do we feel about this new entry? What do we think? Good luck, have fun. That's Concise. About, that's about as much of a take as I can give uh, based on our knowledge of, of the lineup. Mm. So, yeah, Johnny, Johnny Molan, by the way, uh, is 50 years old this year. So, yeah, it's quite a... He's he's, he's a very important Hasn't even name. begun to peak. 
Uh, yeah, sorry. He, he's a very, he's a very important name, but not a a bright name. This is kind of like getting Guy Smith and uh, Dixon to drive the the Genettas, I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I would say that's pretty equivalent. I mean, Johnny's definitely fallen off a little bit. I've kind of gotten annoyed with him and some of the race broadcasts he's done. Felix has fallen off on that too. But uh, he he's a solid, solid driver, solid GT driver, and I think that's what they need. Um, this car will be in the back. That's all I could say really for this, and um, hopefully it won't be getting in in uh, in anybody's way or anything like that. I, I think uh, just off the get go from the silver standpoint, I think Johnny will be able to at least get it decently in the field for qualifying. Yeah. But I just don't see the pace lasting for this uh, for the squad. Yeah, and Red River Sport is actually Johnny's team, so that's where ah, that affiliation well. comes from yeah yeah all right yeah there you go we'll see how we go mr racing same lineup as last year we kind of called them a bit anonymous last year so uh hopefully they are less anonymous i hope maybe fingers crossed and maybe don't bin it as often yeah well i mean you do the best you can with what you got right <laughs> yeah yeah and then we get into the second half of the amato porsches now, this is still got a bit of a question mark around it. So it's Dempsey Proton Racing. Uh, they're running the same cars as last year, but they haven't got any drivers, uh, well, any full driver lineup. So in the 77, you've got Christian Reed, who's the bronze, and Matt Campbell, who's the pro. They haven't got a silver driver. And then the other car, they've only got Thomas Praining, who's a gold. So they're actually waiting on a bronze and two silvers to fill out that driver lineup. Are we getting concerned over at Proton about finding cars, uh, drivers to fill out those cars? Uh, it's a four hour race. They can do this themselves, but they can't though. That's the thing. It, they need the, yeah. the drivers for the regulations. So, Hmm. Maybe. Uh, I, I think we'll be fine. I, I think they should be able to find somebody to, to get in there. Uh, I mean, if something happens, then they might garage the 88, but, 77 should find an M suitable because that is two very quick car uh, drivers in the yep. 77 for sure. So that, you know, if there is no issue and that's a pretty decent M, I'm, you know, I'm definitely circling this, this entry there for maybe two, three wins this year. I mean, that should absolutely uh, do very well in the Porsche fleet. <laughs> well, remember last year, this car won three of the first four races had those results wiped thanks to the uh the cheating at fuji and then came back and then and won didn't. huh uh they only got the points wiped but they got the, the they got the points stood. wiped but Ex- they, well they got the the fuji win wiped yeah um but they yeah so they got the points wiped and then they came back and won three more races in the second half of the season so this car was the they ended up finishing second in the championship after having half of their points wiped for the season. It was ridiculous how good this team was. Um, so I think the 77, they'll definitely find a driver. I actually think they might even pull up uh, Georgia Rota from the LMS car to, to run for part of the season. Um, but the thing is, I can't think of any silver Porsche-affiliated drivers just off the top of my head, unless they go down to their Super Cup lineups and find some uh, Porsche Super Cup drivers, young guns who want to fill that seat. A la uh, Matt Campbell. A la Julian Anlauer, a la Dennis Olsen, etc. Et <laughs> uh, this Okay, this is a hot take for all the Australians and uh, Kiwis in the audience. Might even see Jackson Evans or someone like that get a get a chance in one of these cars, mm. which would be mental. 
Work for you, yeah. Yeah. You, you guys don't know who Jackson Evans is, but he's basically been winning everything in Porsches in Australia for the last two years. So, really exciting. Well, like, I don't know I don't know if that's happening, but if I call that, that'll be, like, the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> okay. Oh, good luck. <laughs> we'll move on from that. Uh, golf racing are back as well. Michael Rainwright and Ben Barker, they need, do need to find a silver for that car. Um, I've got to say, Michael Wainwright really impressed me last year uh, at the seat of the new 911 RSR. Uh, hopefully he continues that because I was quietly impressed for a lot of the last season. I mean, I, I suppose the, the biggest compliment you can give to, give to a bronze is that they didn't cause, cause a calamity. So... And that they were on pace, and that they didn't lose time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, but uh, sometimes invisibility, like, okay, uh, not necessarily invisibility, but to just be getting, fair, yeah, just getting the job done. Yeah, get the job done. Yeah, being Especially very boring. When you're, when yeah. If you can be extremely boring but still hand a car off in a decent position, that is the perfect role for an AM driver right now. Unless you're David Hennemeyer Hansen and you're able to defend against former F1 drivers in an LMP2 car for three quarters of an hour and then hand the position off to a former F1 driver who's now ahead of the amateurs that he was fighting, and then, yeah. They, right, well, yeah, but, well, yeah uh, I know David Hennemeyer Hansen is Hercules. We all get it, all right? We just don't talk about it. David Hercules Hansen. Uh, okay, yeah. the last two cars hey. for GTE Am. Uh, TF Sport and Aston Martin Racing. So TF Sport are returning with their same driver line. Uh, no, a slight change to their driver lineup. So they've got Sally York and Charlie Eastwood, and they've got Jonathan Adam as the professional in that car. So he's moving over from the Aston Martin factory team. Uh, and then in the Aston Martin Racing, the Paul Dallana car... That has undergone significant changes for the first time in a huge amount of years. Uh, it's now Paul Dallana with Darren Turner and Ross Gunn as the uh, silver and gold in that car. That came to me as a surprise, to be honest, to see the 98 have a significant driver lineup change after so many years running the same driver lineup. What do you guys think? I, I suppose uh, Badrul Army got bored. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what is Pedro Lamy doing nowadays? Then I've no probably idea. not a whole lot. I mean, he he was getting up there. I I think this is just like they've these are some Aston Martin drivers that have been with the pro teams for a long time now, and they just might be like the anchors are slowly transitioning to that kind of like the Jokbergmeisters for Porsche, yeah. or like now they're going to spend the next ten years just developing M uh, Aston Martin drivers or just trying to deliver good AM results in the AM categories for Aston Martin, which clearly they yeah. have the option to do. Yeah. Ross Gunn is an AMR, is an AMR junior, so I, I'm not at all surprised to see him in uh, in uh, in the AMR car. Yeah. So James yeah. Charlie Eastwood, too, is, uh, is, a, is an up-and-coming driver as well. So. Yeah, so, so Eastwood and Gunn are kind of parallels in this respect, and then Turner and Johnny Adam are the parallels for the experienced head in the car to sort of bring these guys along. So I think, yeah, I think on the whole it's a good change, but it is kind of sad to see the the PDL, Lammy, and Lauda car kind of all break apart because they were one of my favorite driver lineups for a long time. Yeah. Mm, well, sad faces. Uh, yeah, Might see them back uh, in the Elements or Asian Law Series, something like that, maybe. Yeah, or one-off events ah. like Silverstone. Uh, sorry, uh, Daytona or Bathurst, etc. Or oh, well, maybe Bathurst, not Bathurst yeah. because of the clash, but you know. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Okay, so that's our eleven-car GT Anfield. Eleven cars. Okay, so who's who's gonna win? Any any guesses? Any any anyone brave? 
Uh, let me guess. Flood's guess. It'll be a Porsche. Yep. But which one? Right. I'm also... The 77. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. It's like the easiest guess out of all all four classes. 77 should win the whole championship. Easy if they can find, like I said, a decent amateur driver. Um, but for the rest of fill-out podium for the championship, definitely going to go the AF Corsa route. Maybe probably the 54, the 83. Maybe the 83, actually. I like the 83. And, oh, I don't know. Probably the Team Project 1 will go the 56 route. I'll say they get third place in championship because I, I just don't see anybody unless the 77 shoots themselves in the foot or they just have bad luck and get involved with accidents or incidents on track. They should absolutely wipe the field like they did last, for a super season. Mm. Okay, you saw? Um, 77, probably. Uh, uh, I have a bit more faith in the, in the Project 1 Porsches, but like both Project 1 Porsches. Yeah. But yeah, Porsche probably top three in the championship, all three. I like, like that one, two, three. The championship, all Porsches. I, I like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that as well. Um, but on the other hand, I think there will be at least a significant challenge from both AF Corsa cars and both Aston Martins. If the Aston Martin, because remember they've got the new Aston Martin now. They've got the, uh, last season's WEC Aston Martins. Um, so if they can get that up to speed in a GT AM capacity, then we could see six or seven teams consistently fighting for the top half of the the. GTM grid, which is pretty cool when you've got eleven cars to have six or seven teams in with a chance of a win is a pretty good, pretty good ratio, I think. Yep, absolutely. I think it's a big if. It's a big if. Okay. So I we... think getting the Aston up to speed is going to be a big if because uh, the car did appear to have some fundamental problems with dry weather running last season mm. against against the same cars that it's running this year. So I think it's a big if. Okay, we'll we'll see how we go. And with the WC entry list being filled out uh, after we finished recording, I can actually fill in some of the blanks in that GTE class. So firstly, in the number 77 Dempsey Proton Racing car, the silver that they picked up is young Porsche driver Ricardo Perra. Uh, he was racing for some events last year in the World Endurance Championship in the 88 car and then in the ELMS. And he's a Italian uh, Porsche junior. So... Uh, very young i think he's 20 years old so they are doing the developer young driver route there with the number 77 car uh the 88 as of yet hasn't filled in those blanks but a few of the other blanks have been filled in so in the golf racing car the silver they've got is the driver from garage 59 andrew watson who's recently been driving uh aston martins and before that mclaren so that's an interesting pickup uh not necessarily the strongest driver i would have picked but that is still a a decent grab from a team that is currently doing very well in uh some of the gt races around the world and finally, another little change in the entry list is that uh, in the MR racing car, they've actually made a change uh, from the initial entry list. Uh, every, Eddie Cheever third has been subbed out for Kay Cozzolino. Now, if you're paying attention to our Le Mans GTE preview, you might remember the name Kay Cozzolino as the Japanese driver with the Italian-sounding name that drove for Car Guy Racing. So this is a very interesting uh, grab from the Asian Le Mans series to sort of bring over into the World Endurance Championship. So that now uh, changes the MR Racing crew to um, Motoaki Ishikawa, Olivia Breda, and Kay Cozzolino. So I'll... Uh, I think 
<laughs> of all of us, Chris is Chris Walsh is going to be keeping a few tabs on that car uh, as he's a bit of a fan of the Cargo Racing team and of K. So that's going to be an interesting lineup to keep tabs on as the series develops. Uh, there's still two seats to fill, uh, both of them at Dempsey Proton Racing. Uh, they need a bronze and a silver, but that is the GTM class for the 2019-2020 season. Uh, season is only, what, 10 days, what, nine days away now as we're recording? Yes. We've got 30 cars in the field, but there's a heavy AM focus. We've, we've already made mention that there's only nine full pro lineups across the field. So the, the six GTE pro cars, the two Toyotas and the Rebellion, the rest have some level of amateur involvement, uh, whether that being a P2 car or a GTM car where you're required to have amateurs or the likes of Robertson and the Simpson. The entire number six car. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the, the six, in the Janettas. How do we feel about that balance? Um, I'm not sure. Like I've had time to think about this and I'm still not sure. I suppose someone's going to pay for all of this because, uh, the, the WC is, is in a bit of a transition period. So, you know, Pro interest, factory interest is is reduced, especially with F- Formula E uh, drawing more and more professional driver talents, and just the sheer reduction in the availability of of uh, pro cars. Like there's only, after all, there's only twelve cars, twelve cars, uh, sorry, eleven cars that might even can have full pro lineups. Mm. So nine out of eleven, like I don't know. We'll see what happens. In 12 months' time. Uh, before that, I'm like, I suppose we, we're just going to have to live with this because GT Pro, I don't even know what it's doing, and B1 is going to do B1 things. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, don't forget, if, if we didn't have the uh, the two Pro Am P1 cars, we would have three P1 cars. So someone's going to pay for, for the running. Yeah, exactly. And it's a bit of a rock and a hard place sort of situation at the moment. Because mm. we we don't have the factory interest, we the WEC doesn't have the factory interest in the the premier class for yeah this a transitional season because everyone's gearing up for next year's regulations. Um, I would have liked to have seen, as Cookie mentioned, privateer cars in the GTE Pro class. Like, if, imagine if we had uh, an independently run Ford GT or an independently run BMW. Cookie, how about you? What do you what do you think of the the distribution between Pro and AM for this season? Yeah, accept it, be one with it, deal with it. Now, um, it's it's obviously lopsided. Uh, it's not what we would want out of a international uh, ch- endurance championship where we have you know two or three directly competing series that essentially are trying to do the same thing, in which they're featuring Pro Ams as well. But you know, so. Yeah, I, I get the concern and I get the the issue with not having pro pro lineups as much as you do, but the the racing should still be good. Um, the future will hold more pro pro lineups. I mean, again, this is we have to understand that this is a stopgap. This is obviously not what we all expect. No, do I think the organizers and the the teams expect this is the future of of motorsports? So. With that being said, yeah, this is just something where I don't, I don't. This is not my preference, but this is what I the kind the hand that I'm dealt, so I'm just going to deal with it. Yep. So we'll uh, we'll see if Lamar uh, gives us any more pro pro lineups, which it will with uh, with international uh, other 
regional series, but maybe we'll see some more. Who knows that haven't been announced yet. Mm, fingers crossed. MTEC did try to arrange something with BMW to run the two mates independently, but BMW refused. Oh, that's a shame. Like, th- uh, someone on the chain of BMW, ACO, and MTEC couldn't agree on a thing that was necessary for the two M8s to be run independently. So they're not being run independently. That's a real shame, actually. I would have liked to see them just stick around for at least one more season. Because, yeah, developing a car for that long for just one season feels like a bit of a waste. And then I, I also feel like there was some talk of the four GTs being run as a pro, uh, an independent pro lineup, but they submitted the entry after the submission date, which meant that they weren't allowed. And I mean, yeah, fair enough if you submit it after the uh, the submission date. But yeah, I I don't know. I would have would have liked to seen just some leniency just to make sure to try and bolster the grid. But that's okay. And seeing as we've talked about this season being a sort of stopgap for time and time and time and time and time again, let's talk about why that is and the 2019, uh, sorry, the 2020 and 2021 season regulations. So we finally got a concrete presentation on the new regulations for the future of the WEC and the prototype class during Le Mans. Uh, during the weekend of Le Mans, I think it was the Friday, uh, that was now two months ago, but we are talking about it now, finally. Um, and the, the presentation that was provided to the public and the reports on it, uh, described the class as a, a combination of prototypes or road-based hypercars, um, with a homologation requirement for the road-based cars of 20 uh, individual units over two years, a 1,040 kilogram minimum weight, which is about uh, up to 200 kilograms more than the current minimum weight for the prototypes uh, for the P1 cars, a power cap at 750 horsepower, uh, which is at the current stage, uh, well, the, the Toyota TSO 50 has a... Uh, horsepower range of over a thousand with the hybrid um the hybrid capacity limited to 270 horsepower with uh and which is non-compulsory in fact uh and limited to be used only above certain speeds uh and then the big talking points uh around that as well balance performance like the gte class and a three minutes 30 lap time at le mans so what what were your first thoughts when you saw this announcement? We'll go with Cookie first. Um, was fine with everything up until maybe the 750 brake horsepower is a little bit low, be- um, which then made a lot more sense when I looked at the 330 lap time target, yep. and that's what stands out. I think yep. that's that's the big elephant in the room for me. Everything else I'm fine with. I have no issue whatsoever with everything else. That 330, I think, is just going to have to get adjusted because it's, it's just going to cause so many headaches. And you're setting yourself up essentially for arguments as to why do I go here when I can go DPI 2.0 in a little bit, which might certainly be the same exact lap time that they're they're estimating or wanting from Lamar. Because I just that's a huge reduction in pace for mm. what they are at right now and what we're looking at for potential projected times uh, for both of these classes in IMSA and WC. So that's is, that's my main concern. Yeah. So. So the thing is, 330 is a very conservative estimate from the FIA because uh, if many years of watching motorsports has taught me anything, it is that 
the FIA are terrible at estimating how good professional outfits are at developing cars. So uh, I'll, I'll just I'll just uh, throw in a quick quick reference to Formula One. Uh, they expected they expected the 2019 cars with a reduction in front downforce to be one and a half seconds slower around Barcelona than the 2018 cars. They they wound up being even faster. So yeah. I think I think 330 is a very conservative estimate. And like if someone makes a car that is slower than 330, they'll they'll all be a beat to, be be a beat to 330. But if someone, but if the slowest car is three twenty six, they'll all be be a beat to three twenty six. And let's not forget that's that's race pace. So qualifying pace is going to be three twenty five according to their target. But the, they're probably going to get them down to at least three twenty six. So three twenty two full time, which is not that bad. Yeah, when when you when you shape it like that, it does uh, seem a little more a little more palatable. But the thing is. Uh, that is right in the region of the current P2 target. Well, the, not the P2 target, but it's right where the current P2 lap times sit around Le Mans. Because uh, the P2 cars are as fast as the first iteration of the hybrids or, or the uh, the um, factory Audi L- uh, R8s. The first iteration of the R8s. The, P- the current P2s are faster than that. Uh, and that's, you know, for AM drivers. So we're, we're getting to a stage now where the we're going to have to start slowing everything down again to fit in this new first class. And what the big, one of the issues for me is that it's a backward step in technology. And one of the things that I've always liked about Le Mans is that it's showcasing and it's pushing the boundaries of what new technology can bring us. You know, there was the, the diesel era and now the hybrid era. And it feels like now we're, we're taking a step back and we're going towards things that are less... Uh, less cutting edge, less uh, research and development and more of a racing product as opposed to a technology showcase. And it's, it's, it's a weird balance to find because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a motor race and there's an obligation, well, not an obligation, but, you know, an expectation for an enthralling motor race and there's an entertainment aspect to it. But at the end of the day, Le Mans has been mostly about testing the limits of, what can be achieved in a motor car right so i have some some strong opinions about this so prepare for a bit of a rant okay I've here said, we go i've said uh multiple times in the past few months that the f the fia needed to have a sit down with themselves and decide what they want the top classes to be because what they have on their hands is three top level classes in motorsports they have formula one they have lmp1 or whatever it's going to be called and they have Formula E, and they have three. They have three um, purposes that need to be fulfilled. You've got tech, you've got good racing, you've got pushing boundaries, as you've put in the run sheet. Yeah. So, uh, I like LMP1 shouldn't try to be Formula One because uh, LMP1 just isn't as big or or as well known as Formula One is. So, if you if you're gonna go with tech or pushing boundaries, uh. It, it's better to do it in Formula One, where managers—not managers—where manufacturers are willing to spend the big money because they get that back in exposure and in marketing, whereas they would not necessarily be getting that in LMP1. While um, pushing batteries is uh, is always going to be uh, Formula E because uh, they're on they're really they're on the cutting edge of technology, and that's where all the manufacturers are flocking right now because uh, in in. Formula One, they get all the all their 
uh, all their invest well not all of their investment but they get a lot of it back in marketing and mm. in in Formula E they get it all back for road relevance and road relevance R and D because uh, batteries and electric motors that's what's relevant that's what's the future LMP one it cannot be Formula E because Formula E is its own thing and is designed to be the bastion for pure electric racing and and it could it shouldn't try to be formula 1 uh because formula 1 as as i said is too is so big that it's actually worth the investment so mm. lmp1 has to be cheaper otherwise it's never going to live that's like that's been the perennial cycle manufacturers come uh there's a spending war manufacturers leave because it's too expensive repeat so i think they have had the sit down that i i've been advocating for for months and I'm actually pretty happy about that because if for, like like if the expensive classes are going to be the the single seater ones, the Formula One and Formula E, LMP1 sh- shouldn't try to be either of them and should try to be its own thing that can that can draw interest in different ways. So how so, do, so how does it draw interest then? Does it just have good racing? Is that the focus of prototype endurance racing? That it's good racing for a long period of time? I suppose. Like. But uh, but it should like what they what they should be trying to achieve or what they are trying to achieve is something that is sustainable and isn't going to burn itself out with a spending war in three or four years time. I oh, I don't completely agree. Uh, as I mentioned, part of the allure of Le Mans for me is that it's the most technologically advanced cars being tested to the limits for the longest amount of time. Because that is where you'll start to see failures in componentry. That is where you start to see these technologies tested. You don't see that in Formula 1 because it's only an hour and a half. You don't see that in Formula E because while the technology is cutting edge, as you put it, it's only for a 45-minute event. There is no necessity to be able to run through the cycle of low speed to high speed to low speed to high speed to passing traffic to stopping the car entirely turning it off starting it up again you know going through all those things having to survive the bumps having to survive going off track potentially having to go from slow zones to chicanes to fast sweeping corners there's no necessity to be able to continue to do that over a long trying period because that's what road relevance is you know you don't just use your car for a quick nip down to the shops all the time you do sometimes spend uh you know time on the road doing road trips like i drove from melbourne to adelaide last year which is an eight hour drive in a in a new car to me and so those are the things that are road relevant and these things need to be able to be tested over a long period of time you just don't get that in shorter motorsports so that's for me why endurance motorsport has to be a factor for the cutting edge of technology and we've seen the the technologies that have been developed for endurance racing make their way to road cars like the reason that toyota audi and porsche were involved so heavily in the hybrid area is because they were building hybrid motor cars and they wanted to be able to develop their technology and test that technology now we've you know talked about some of the potential entrants to this class and i think some of the people that you might expect to enter a class like this that are looking at hybrid technology, like like a McLaren or like a Ferrari, who are building hybrid supercars or hybrid hypercars for that matter, uh, are turned away because the 
technologies that they want to develop aren't being focused on. They're being downplayed. They're being taken backwards. So yeah, it you know you do end up with spending wars, and you do end up with this perennial cycle of boom and bust. But honestly, I don't think that's as much of a immediate problem as it appears to be. It's just a matter of designing each regulation cycle around a technology that's on the on the verge of developing. Uh, so you know that's that's my view on it and we have seen massive improvements in hybrid technology in the past seven or eight years and part of that is due to the prevalence of hybrid technology in sports cars and hybrid technology in endurance motorsport and i think lmp1 from say 2013 to 2017 was a great advertisement of saying you can have these alternate technologies and still have good racing so yeah that's my my thoughts on it yeah but LMP1 still burned itself. Well, Dieselgate did help in burning mm. in burning LMP1 out. But yeah, what we did have with LMP1 was amazing. I I will attest to that. And and what you said about component failure, uh, absolutely. Uh, it, there is an inherent amount of road, road relevance in Le Mans. It, there always will be. But uh, I I think uh, the powertrain. Is what they just the powertrain road relevance is what they wanted to take away to primarily control costs. So powertrain road relevance has been shifted over to Formula E, and I mean uh, you've still got the brakes, you've got the the transmission. Yeah, the thing is, the thing is, the, the, the powertrain is the, the the thing that's tested the most at Le Mans, right? Because you're going from zero, well, you know, a hundred kilometers per hour to three hundred fifty kilometers per hour five times in the space of three minutes. Like that's ridiculous. And then you have to, you know, it's it's not just a test of brakes and tire wear and blah 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 blah. It's a test on the powertrain. I mean, how many uh, engine failures have we seen at Le Mans in the past ten years? It's just it's plenty, and that's because you're stressing the powertrains in these cars to the absolute max. But either way... That is a fair... Yeah, but either way, either way, the the thing is, we needed to attract manufacturers of this series, and we have got some interested parties. I do want to just backtrack a little bit before we go and talk about that, um, and have a little bit more of a chat uh, about the elephants in the room, so to speak. So, Cookie... You said the big elephant in the room is the 3.30 lap time target. So what what flow-on effect does that have? Uh, it would require slowing down LMP2, which then brings it into GTE Pro speeds. So then it requires GTE Pro being slowed down, and which obviously then you'd have to slow GTM down. So in effect, then you're slowing cars down to uh, categories in which potentially uh, you could spend a lot cheaper money on. And so you're almost now in a model of would potential customers uh, outlaw drivers or teams want to spend and activate dollars in our series or would they want to go somewhere else for cheaper maybe not on the same grandiose scale but now you've invited that potential debate whereas right now maybe you didn't because these are clearly defined and are faster etc than whatever so this would require a whole lot of slowing down. I, I don't even know where it would put LMP3 at either for ELMS. That would have a, a whole change required mm. for that too. And LMP3, the next generation of LMP3 has actually got their speeds increased in order to better make use of the downforce platform that you do have inherently in a prototype. So that's actually going to further reduce the gap between P2 and P3. 
if you then have to go ahead and slow down P2. So we could actually end up in a situation where we have two different P2 specifications, one for racing against P, uh, racing in classes with P1 in the WEC, and then one for racing in regional championships like the ELMS. That is not where I want things to go, to be yeah, honest. But I, th- I think, as I said, I think that the, the, the 330 is a very conservative estimate and uh remember uh, these cars are come like i don't know how much development they're exactly allowed during the course of a season i'm not much not sure yeah because they're their aerodynamics are going to get uh measured and limited the power is limited by a you know three quarters to what it was before they're going to be heavier as well um so all of this is in and an idea to reduce budgets because the the goal for the class is that you can run a two-car team for 20 million euros a season which is a significant reduction on what teams are spending at the moment uh especially if you're running an r&d project on the side like porsche and audi and to an extent toyota were as well um so that's the kind of goal here so this is why we've taken that backward step in technology um so yeah oh the one of the pro, one of the problems I have before we get into a a big debate about something a little later on is that by non um, by making the hybrids non compulsory by reducing the power and by increasing the weight I'm a little worried that what we're going to end up with is a class that looks lethargic. So one of the big things that I that super got me into the WC was the fact that the cars not only looked like spaceships, but they took off like spaceships. They went around corners like spaceships. Like watching the Audi and Porsche battle at Silverstone in 2015, where they were shooting out of the corners past each other. You know, the lead changed five times over the course of 20 minutes. It was crazy because that was like the peak of motor racing. That's the 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 absolute opus of what motor racing could be just these absolute monsters machines that fly around corners and fly out of corners and fly down the straights i i feel like we're gonna lose that by having this class i mean cookie you talked about the difference like the visual difference between watching the toyotas and watching the non-hybrids at sebring like yeah it's not at all the same is it no not at all i i think um that was definitely something that was really unique to those um and it it definitely felt fitting for just yeah how spaceship like they looked um yeah i mean i i i definitely will probably i I grew up watching lmp1 so essentially this is what i would think of as group c and i just love the stylistic approach of lmp1s um so yeah to see them go anyway and see different body styles is going to be kind of tough but yeah to see them get neutered a little bit especially from the power off of corner exit that's going to be um yeah there, there's definitely going to be a memory that there were faster cars <laughs> in yeah. that in that portion of the track and who knows four years from now we might be doing the same you know speeds and then that's probably going to be the case but until then yeah at the same time, though, too, we've seen these neuters before. We've seen, um, you know, the field get pegged back in other series, you know, in previous decades. So this isn't like, you know, taking a step back or taking a, a you know, going back to a previous page hasn't been done before or hasn't been successful in the long term. 
Um, it's just for right when we thought that um, the combination of what we were doing, kind of the speed and the endurance aspect and technology was right where we wanted to. And yeah, we were hitting a speed bump, but we would get back there. We're kind of neutering a little bit mm-hmm. of that uniqueness that made it what it could have been maybe cheaper, you know? So yeah. I think it'll be all right. I don't think like uh, the, 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 the final regulations that we are seeing right now, uh, like they are, they are a result of, nine ten months of heat discussion between the manufacturers and, and the ACO and the FIA so they probably I think what they did was make the least concessions that they they had to in order to still have a significant amount of interest yeah be year one year two and yeah and you know like the same road car based platforms are going to transition over for into twenty twenty into the twenty four twenty five season when we move to hydrogen power, but that's that's a completely different beast. Yeah, yeah. You know, if so, we even get there, yeah. If we do get there, yeah. But uh, like, I don't think the ACO pulled this out of the blue and said, "All right, this is what we're going to do. This is how we think we can do it." This is like this is a result of many months of discussions and manufacturers saying, "Hey, we don't really like this. Can you change this?" Because yeah, but the, like, the thing is, when I first learned about the 2014 regs, the hybrid regs, I was excited. I was excited to see what would come about it. For, for this, I'm not excited. I don't have that sense that I'm going to see something amazing. I'm, I'm going to see something that is going to fill a manufacturer interest role, and it's going to maybe bring teams into racing. But I'm not going to. I'm not feeling excited about what's happening for the series. That's that's my view on it. Is the, is the thing? Mm. Yeah, that, that's that's my personal view on it. Um, uh, so they just wait for the cars. Yeah, like, uh, we we are all basing this off of then. supposition and what we think, but we don't really have any of the data behind the scenes, so we can't really say anything concrete about it. We just huh? The what? No, no, yeah, you're right. There's nothing concrete. I just want to say, just a reminder that Toyota is not going to look like that mule car. It's not going to be production based. It will be <laughs> a pro- it will be a prototype race car, and I think that that thing will have some look to it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Even it's though, like so. every time, yeah. Now in in the next three four years, every time every time an expensive manufacturer puts out a, a crazy looking car, it, it, it'll it be is, like, is this is this LMP hypercar? Is this a hypercar? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I do like about the new regulations is uh, the hybrid is limited to use above certain speeds because that is the only that is how how to balance hybrid and non-hybrid. Take the hyperdrive out. Yes. Out of the equation. But that's again, this is going backwards in technology because that's you know part of the reason that makes the hybrid racing so great is that it can compensate for things like turbos which only spool up at a certain speed so you can have that instant torque which is why uh yeah i know like i know it balances the cars better and i know that's the goal it's to have balanced cars and we haven't even gotten into that whole rabbit hole about balanced performance in a top level prototype class yet we haven't even gotten to there but it just yeah it it I guess it kind of cheapens the experience. And it's like, why would you add that weight of having a, a hybrid power pack when you can only use it above the advantage area of having a hybrid power pack? I think it'll still be more effective. Uh, 120 kilometers per hour is what? 80 some miles an hour. So uh, I think it's 75. 75. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's still, you're accelerating, still been able to use it through another 120 or no, 100 
110 miles an hour, essentially 110, 120. So yeah, that's, that's still a, a very useful package, especially when you're trying to just get by somebody for an overtaking to a braking area, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's definitely going to be advantages, but yeah, you're right. It's definitely the, the punch out of the corner is going to be subdued. Mm. There's also the, uh, the uh, fact you're carrying less fuel with a hybrid car and you've got regenerative braking in uh so you've got less trace stress on the brakes there there, there is more advantage than, than just the punch out of a corner uh, yeah i guess um the thing is regardless of whether or not you get less or more fuel at the end of the day the i i'm gathering the idea is you have the same potential energy on board whether that be stored as chemical en- energy as fuel or electrical energy as a hybrid um and regenerative braking what we've actually seen is a reduction in braking performance because the regenerative braking has become a system to brake the car. So you end up with smaller brakes, less effective brakes because you're relying on a uh, hybrid system to brake the car, you know, which is fine when you design around that. But, you know, when we have seen hybrid banks break or, you know, stop working, they it just torches through the brakes. You go straight. Yeah, exactly. The, bra- <laughs> the brakes just don't, aren't effective enough. So you could just easily offset that by building bigger bigger brakes. Um, but anyway, finally, before we talk about the people who are coming, we should t- discuss balance of performance because I know that if we don't, DC3 is going to get really, really mad at me because he absolutely hates the idea of balance <laughs> performance in a top-level sports car class because that's what it is it's balance performance in a prototype class this would be like having balance performance in f1 or balance of performance in moto gp it's meant to be out and out sports racing prototypes the best you can absolutely build within these regulations and we're applying a balance performance formula to it is is that the way to go is that going to be what we want to see in terms of uh a top level sport uh, prototype class Yes, because the costs are unsustainable, even if apparently you try to make it 30 mil euro a year. That's literally the simplest thing because there's no, there's, there's, there's no, uh, further kind of factory injection right anymore left for these high caliber Porsche kind of aspect LMP1 Audi thing anymore, which was the standard. I mean, Audi certainly spent a ton of money back when it was dominating, but I wouldn't say it was spending crazy amounts more than, you know, what Toyota did or what oh, Porsche did in group C Jaguar Mercedes. Like they all spent a decent amount of money when they were trying to come. And I don't think Audi really cooked the books hugely over anybody else. So that was the wrong expression. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's late. It's late. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my, my point still stands is that, um, we're just not seeing that kind of injection of cash into these in these top flight prototypes anymore, especially even an IMSA that you're seeing there, that that's the stable there. So I think that it's just a sign of the times and that you really can't uh, expect manufacturers to show up if you give them an unlimited category for endurance racing anymore. Formula One exists for that purpose for technology, same with Formula E, even though that's limited. And endurance racing has just kind of lost the appeal for for large OEMs to really showcase their technology outside of like laser lights here or a hybrid system that, you know, they're still not sure if they're going to convert their entire uh, production models to. So 
we're we're kind of still in a in a little bit of a transition phase where we can't just all in on you know what your three were tech good racing pushing boundaries like we do have to make good racing like there is there is no way right now for us to ask people to spend the amount of money needed to push boundaries in tech or push boundaries in endurance or push boundaries in alternate energies that kind of stuff there's just not the capital that is willing to be invested in the sport. So providing a stable amount of good racing that can be satisfied for all parties that enter so that they don't run away in two or three years a la BMW is, I think, an effective strategy. And I mean, yeah, it's selling out a little bit to what I think people would really want deep down inside. But financial-wise, it's just not there. It's clearly not there. So... This is our best hmm. bet. Anything to add, Saul? I mean, everything's been pretty much said. Uh, BOP is just a necessary because you need road-based... You need to... Like, we needed to allow road-based cars to to gain manufacturer interest. That's why, that's why Aston Martin is come, coming in with the Valkyrie. because It's a road-based... Yep. It's a road-going car. Road-going-based car, right? Yep. Yeah. So... And... As soon as we're adding that, we need to have BOP because uh, because BOP is is a necessary thing when when competing with road based cars. Yeah, like I kind of accepted when it was announced that BOP was just going to have to be a factor in it because, as you said, balancing road based cars against prototypes as well is going to be the biggest challenge that you can possibly get through. Uh, and on top of that it was clear that the likes of Aston Martin especially weren't going to race without that provision made, um, which is probably why we ended up with the higher um, weights and that sort of stuff. So yeah, it has become just a sort of necessary evil. I hope it's more of a uh, hit this target and if you go too far, we'll bring you back as opposed to we're going to bring everyone up to this level and that's the level that you get to. So I hope it's more of a a hands-off BOP. So like hit this target time or we'll bring you back. Not if you're not at this target, we'll bring you up. So that would really annoy me. So yeah, yeah. The ACO have said that, that 330 is a very conservative estimate that they think everyone can hit. Fingers crossed, right? If you can't hit that at Le Mans at the moment, you might as well just give up. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> what are you doing? So the car, the, the teams that are committed to the 2020 season are Toyota um, with a brand new prototype car. So this is not the TSO 50. This is not a road-based car. This is going to be a brand new prototype. So we'll call it a TSO 60. Let's let's call yeah, it that. It'll be, it'll be the 60. We'll call it a TSO 60. Uh, we have Aston Martin confirmed with a... Aston Martin Valkyrie-based uh, production car. So, so it'll be sorry. V twelve. Yeah, it'll be a V. It'll be a production-based uh, car off the V twelve Valkyrie. So that's pretty exciting. The Valkyrie does look pretty scary as as a, as a car in itself. So they're going to be a competitor. We also have Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus with the production base of a. Uh, SCG 007, um, which looks like it takes quite a few uh, cues from a Ford GT. Um, so that'll be interesting. Because Glickenhaus has always kind of had the philosophy of, I want to build a car that I can drive to Le Mans, race at Le Mans, and then drive home, uh, which is basically what he does at the Nürburgring. 
So Glickenhaus. Yeah. Cameron Glickenhaus. Yeah. Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus. No, no. It, uh, uh, I get Bond it because it's a James Bond. Uh, I get it. And then finally, we have a confirmed entry, well, a in principle entry from By Collars. Uh, so who knows what they're going to do, but it's going to be likely based off of their current P1, which is in fact why they're sitting out this season of the WEC. Uh, so any surprises in that? I don't. I I really don't think that there was ever going to be more uptake in the first season, especially with how late they uh, announced the regulations. I'm surprised Damn. we got eight, <laughs> to be honest. Who says we got eight? We might only have six. We might have seven. We might only have one car uh, from some of these. Uh, there is a rule you have to run two cars by team. Oh, really? Exactly two. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So we might even get ten with, with our motorsport running two Valkyries, theoretically. Ooh, that would be interesting. Yep. No, like, it's minimum uh, requirement there has for been chassis, quite a bit of in- per team. What was that? Sorry, yeah, Cookie? Uh, two cars per team. Per team. Okay, so we should see four Aston Martins then, technically. Theoretically, yeah. We could. Like, uh, there has been quite a bit of interest in uh, in some cross-pollination between the Red, Bull pro- the Red Bull Junior Program and Aston Martin Valkyries for Le Mans. So if, if we get well, if we get the junior crop to come over, yay! Well, there you go. That would be, yeah, that would be quite interesting. So we could actually have, yeah, a kind of resurgence in LMP1, well, LMP1, LMP5, what are we calling it? Yeah, hybrid, hybrid car. I just don't see Bicoles making it. I don't, I just don't see where that, that makes any leeway. Maybe 2021? Yeah. But mm. I just, yeah. May, maybe they'll show up, but good God. I, <laughs> look, I, I, we, and, and again... I just every single time I say it, I'm like I, I'm writing them off here. But my God, I've wrote, written them off before, and they show back up again. So they are they are eternal. They are eternal. I can't wait for the SCG though. <laughs> that looks the already the renders of that look like a weird looking like almost like a retro like prototype retro like, futurism. Uh, yeah, kind of that that already in the rear fender. So I'm I'm excited to see what they're gonna make. Nice. Um, what about year two? They're the eternal what, flame. What, what what do you reckon year two? We've seen uh, some dabbling from Porsche. I, I remember when the regulations got announced, they actually put out a uh, press release immediately after saying we're watching very closely and we're interested to see where this goes. Um, do we think... Uh-uh. Nah, no, don't, no, don't think so? Nah, uh, I think they're going to go all in Formula E, to, to be quite honest. All in Formula E, fair enough. Um, what about any other manufacturers that we might be thinking about? <sighs> Nothing from the Volkswagen Group. Uh, nothing from Mercedes. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the bigger ones on the top of my head. Um, Ooh, oh. Someone American, maybe? No. Maybe. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not really? No. Because DPI is That's... a thing. Yeah, DPI is a thing. It uh, does have red, white, and blue in it, though. So you are kind of close. Come on, Sol. Uh, Come on, Sol. You got it. You You're almost got it. Iron. Yay. Nope. No, no. Oh, no. Mm-mm. No? Mm-mm. Probably. I'm not. I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking another large manufacturer that has expressed interest Bentley. and has done no, that has uh, done well at Le Mans on occasion. Given uh, another OEM. Oh man. Oh, we're gonna do a guessing game. Okay, Renault. Peugeot. Peugeot. Renault. Peugeot. Peugeot. Peugeot okay. No. Yeah. Peugeot with Oreca. Oh yes, I did see that Oreca were in talks very recently about making a hypercar for this uh for this regulation so is that is that who they're rumored to be partnering with 
Well, they just said all, OEM. All French. Yep. So essentially, too, that all they need is is a like uh, uh, racing base, you know, prototype like what the Toyota is doing, and service around that. So they don't necessarily need, I don't think, to create a hypercar where it is yeah, strictly doing be, that. Mm, it's going to be a prototype we'll base. <laughs> yeah. So right. uh, this is an article um, that I that I found with a very quick Google. They're talking about maybe Rebellion uh, staying on, and then they are also saying at the same time we have had some early discussion with OEMs. So, yeah, Peugeot wouldn't be oh. too far out. I, I, I don't think Renault we, would be too far away, although they uh, might be more but, talking with Alpine. Nah, Renault would be. Uh, Renault is uh, has a Formula One and Formula E program. I don't see them doing all. That's three. a good point. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like the Renault group. Uh, we haven't mentioned Koenigsegg at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I think that was uh always far fetched. I don't I don't think that would ever happen. If it does happen, I'll eat my hat. That's fair. If if it does happen, I'll buy a Deal. I'll buy a Toyota Gazoo singing... racing hat and I'll eat it. Yeah. While singing the National Anthem. No, I'm not going to do <laughs> that. You can't make me do if that. If Koenigsegg do come over, it, it's going to be... It, I I would love to see a Koenigsegg-Rimas partnership in, in in the top class. That would, would be, be ridiculous. wonderful. It, it would be, be amazing. Um, so, final thoughts about the, the 2021 regs? Nervously optimistic. I... Yes. <laughs> I am... I am not optimistic but i am not necessarily pessimistic i am violently neutral violently <laughs> neutral that is an interesting i mean if scg gets on the grid that will be a story in itself if you have what may be a four car effort from aston martin taking on the grizzly grizzly veterans of toyota grizzly uh, in in their yes very grizzly uh in their in their new car I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's again, eight cars, seven cars, whatever you want to say, however many that that will be racing, actually. That's a decent amount of cars. And if you can get, get them pretty close to each other um, in terms of overall pace, you have success, success spells too to help it out with the finale at Le Mans. And BOP it, it as well. shouldn't be that bad. We have the potential for a Rake and McLaren, blah, 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 to come in in 2021. I mean, it's a good first year. I, I wouldn't ask for a whole lot more if this is a good first year. Yeah, maybe we'll, let's grow on it. I, so. I think I, I think the the second year will be the year where we actually see if it's a success or not. The first year will always kind of be a bit iffy, but the second year will be a the make or break season. So what we're saying is, if you want to know what's going to happen to WEC, the top class of WEC, you have to wait until twenty twenty one. So yeah, there we go. And keep in mind as well that for the first year, these cars are going to have a development cycle of 14 months. They're going to be racing 12 months from this point in time, and the announcement was only two months ago. So that's not a lot of time to build a car. This isn't the 60s. You can't build a race-winning car in nine months anymore. No. That's true. Mm. Not at all. Cool. So I guess that brings us to the end. We have the first round of Season 8 of the WEC this weekend. Uh, it is, of course, the ELMS WEC doubleheader at Silverstone. So we have a four-hour race on both Saturday and Sunday. One for the ELMS, one for the WEC. How are we feeling about that? Any hopes, any dreams, any expectations for this weekend? I am hoping to see an art car uh, make a comeback. I am... Dreaming of a close race at P1. I am expecting (laughs) 
I'm expecting a close race in P2, and realistically, it's going to be Toyota 1 2, Alpine, JCDC, JC, uh, Jota 1 2 3, <laughs> in any order. It's and then Porsche, be, Porsche, Porsche, um, Porsche, Porsche, all in GT, right? In AMS, yeah. <laughs> and, I th- and I think Porsche, Ferrari, Porsche, Ferrari in GT Pro. Still still no hope for Aston Martin. We're just going to return them to the uh, 2016 year where they trundled around at the tail of the field and did nothing. I mean, good luck. <laughs> what about you, Cookie? What are you thinking? Uh, yeah, expectations Toyota will win. Hopes are Rebellion are close slash AMR found their problems uh, with with summer testing. Weird to say. Um, and dreams that Rebellion somehow ekes a win. I don't know how that would even be possible. It'd be amazing. Uh, but, yeah, it would be. Uh, the um, same way they did last year. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, that's true. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's scrub, scrub those planks off, boys. Let's go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and for me, I expect the, the ELMS race to be better action than the WC race. Uh, and that's not necessarily a slight at the WC. It's just because the ELMS has just been ridiculously good this season. Like I watched, super the, good. I watched the Barcelona. I only just caught up in the Barcelona race this week, and my god, that was mm-hmm. nail biting all the way to the very finish. It was ridiculous. Fantastic. Yeah. So if you're not watching ELMS, watch ELMS. It's free. Secondly, uh, WC qualifying Saturday race on Sunday. Um, we should hopefully get information about how to get into the stream at some point. I think you can already buy it, maybe. It's like 40 euro for the year. So get on that. It's not bad. Mm. And on that note, that is all we've got time for. Thank you very much, Sol and Cookie. You can finally go to bed, Cookie, now that it's, what, like 1 in the morning for you? Yeah. What, yeah. what time is it? I don't, I don't even know what time it is anymore. I just need to get drunk. <laughs> you can go get drunk. <laughs> Thank you very okay. much, Sol, for waking up stupidly early for us to be able to do this as well. Wouldn't have any any other way. And thank you very much for listening. I've been Flyband11. Peace out. Gazoo! Gazoo! <laughs>